This is a podcast from thebuglepodcast.com. newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome back after our two-week hiatus to Bugle 250. For the week beginning Monday, the 4th of November, 2013. With me, Andy Zaltzman. Back in London and still in the Northern Hemisphere, veteran... Of 249 previous full episodes of The Bugle, and joining me from New York, the only other performer in Bugle history to have appeared in 249 episodes of this newscast, it's John Oliver. That's right, Andy, where you bring brass, I bring (laughs) six drunk men in a pub rock band. (laughs) Happy 250th anniversary, Andy. It's one thing... To effectively waste each other's time, Andy, but to waste the time of people all over the world is truly an achievement. Congratulations, my friend. Oh, John, it's uh, it's touching for you to say that. You know, we had our we had our sixth birthday while uh, we were away. Thanks for those who uh, those of you who sent messages, uh, goodwill messages or ill will messages on Twitter. Six glorious years, I and mean, it's amazing to think, John, just just six years ago, we were just two kids from the block with a dream that one way we could dance on Broadway and. Uh, you at least are at least uh, 98% of the way to achieving that dream, even if I'm I'm geographically closer to it. I'm <laughs> geographically closer. That's that's the only thing I've managed to get is physically closer. <laughs> so what? I mean, it's a historic landmark, uh, 250. Um, a historic landmark in Bugle history, which is, of course, the only form of history the world can truly agree on these days. It means, John, at 250 yeah. episodes, we are now 0.025% of the way to the big one millionth bugle. <laughs> we are also, to put that in context, almost, almost one quarter of the way to the 1,003rd bugle. And we mm-hmm. are 18 bugles past the magic 232 bugle mark. We've done uh, now 20 bugles for each of Jesus' 12 apostles, with 10 left over for the water-walking, wine-wangling, corpse-hassling, Hollywood-style, moralising, storytelling, three-time Judean Mr. Loincloth model of the year himself. And if you played all 250 bugles, plus the various sub-bugles uh, from the last six years, back-to-back to, back to yourself whilst in an induced coma, you would wake up with an in-depth knowledge of advanced calculus and an unswerving fear of encyclopedias. That, that shows you how long we've been around, John. And you have a way, the kind of way with numbers that you have with words. You just <laughs> refuse to obey the basic rules. Uh, it was a... Uh, it was Halloween last night here, Andy. Well, you know, let's be fair, it was Halloween last night everywhere. But America really commits to Halloween. So this city, and indeed the entire country, was absolutely awash with people dressed as slutty sharks walking alongside pugs dressed as Darth Vader. And now we can all enjoy the glorious sight over the next few weeks of children walking around in incredibly dirty, threadbare Spider-Man costumes because they now understandably point-blank refuse to go back to wearing regular clothes. <laughs> Why would I wear a button-down shirt when I could be wearing something that has sponge biceps and a mask? I could be dressed as a dinosaur right now, Mother. So frankly, that sweater you're holding up holds no thrill for me. It doesn't even have a cape, lady. 
the, the goalposts have moved on what I'm willing to put on my body now. I will not set foot outside the door in anything less than a fireman's helmet. That's a fact. I will not drop below that line. Now, Andy, I gather that you made uh, an appearance on TV yeah. uh, last week as well. More specifically, yep. uh, you were caught in a crowd in Dubai sleeping through an international cricket match. <laughs> now... For such well, a vocal defender of and champion of cricket, Andy, yeah. you don't make a great case for it by snoozing through it. Well, you say you say in a crowd, John, but this this was the problem. There were uh, l- almost literally no people at this game, so mm-hmm. I was there with my uh, uh, my cricket info editor, and we went out uh, out from the press box to sit in the stands for a bit, soak up some of the non-existent atmosphere, <laughs> and it was a you know one of those uh, periods of playing cricket where you were. Uh, you know, not 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 all the action is happening at once. Uh-huh. So we say, and um, you know, somewhere our, between the beginning and the end yeah, of a game. You know, of cricket, in those then. those kind of you know during those five days between the beginning and the end. And um, <laughs> you know, I, I did uh, I did I confess momentarily uh, shut my eyes and and mm-hmm. lolled my head around like a nodding idiot. Uh, and given that there was no one else in the crowd, the cameras at the uh, <laughs> other end of the ground <laughs> picked me out. Uh, unerringly, uh, and the commentator on the telly said, "Well, it looks like the Crick Info boys are hard at work." And <laughs> I woke up from this little micro snooze to a stream of abuse on Twitter. <laughs> and it appears that me falling asleep at a cricket match uh, yeah. garnered more public reaction than anything else I have ever done in my career. <laughs> and that like that performance rea- art. I have taken that on board, people. I've I've taken that on board. I mean, you've got paparazzi, Dandy. That's basically That's right. Let me live my own life. I'm not just a piece of meat. You vultures! (laughs) Yes, I I have been in... I stopped in Dubai on the way back from India. um, And also, I've been to Belgium for a couple of days uh, on a little family family break. I've been in India, Dubai, and uh, Belgium. And it made me think about those different countries, John. If each of those Mm -hmm. three different countries were a naked man... Who'd been given one thousand pounds to get uh-huh. himself some clothes and smarten himself up? Well, India mm-hmm. was a nation with obviously massive poverty, a growing lower middle class and a reasonably affluent upper middle, and a few, frankly, idiotically wealthy creases at the top. So I think if India was given it this thousand pounds, the naked India, uh, it would spend two pounds on a functional pair of socks, eight pounds on a reasonably smart tie, and nine hundred and ninety pounds on an unnecessarily flash haircut. Now, it would unquestionably be an impressive haircut, but it would also be extremely hard to stop your eye being drawn downwards and and then back up. Man, that hair is sensational. Stop flicking it. It's making your, your things wobble. Uh, come on, at least try to cover your testicles. Belgium, by contrast, would spend quite a bit of money on a smart shirt, some sensible trousers, a hard-wearing pair of trainers, Makes sense, a yeah. functional all-weather jacket, a smartphone on a pay-monthly tariff, a total upfront cost of £350. Okay. And it would spend the remaining £650... <laughs> On waffles, <laughs> whilst Dubai would spend all twelve thousand pounds of the one thousand pounds <laughs> on surgery to give it the world's biggest man-made penis. <laughs> Top story this week: spying update. Everybody snoops. <laughs> it's got to the point now. Andy, where if you live anywhere in the world and the NSA is not monitoring your phone and emails, you should probably feel deeply hurt, or (laughs) at the very least, you should check to see that you're still alive. Uh, The reason 
Uh, we're still finding out about this, is that Edward Snowden has been continually leaking away like a BP oil rig, constantly, with significant consequences, and with no clear way to stop it, short of shoving a cork in the USB drive of his laptop. Uh, the latest revelations uh, show that the NSA has been monitoring the phone calls of 35 world leaders, including Germany's Angela Merkel, uh, the news of which is likely to have pissed off at least 35 people, including Germany's Angela Merkel. Although, I will say, Andy... Monitoring that last one, I don't really have a problem with. <laughs> I still think that monitoring the German leader, however dubiously, is significantly safer than not monitoring a German leader. And I think deep down, even though she's justifiably upset about this, Andy, she can probably understand that. Uh, this is an outrage. What gives this foreign agencies a right to tap on my personal phone? I cannot possibly let it... Well, yes, we did do that. We did do it, yes. I mean, it was a long time ago, but, well, when you put it like that, it was, I guess, less than 100 years ago. OK, in your position, I would probably do the same thing. Probably. Well, this is a very valid point, John. A German newspaper described the uh, monitoring mm-hmm. of Mer- Merkel's mobile phone as, quotes, the greatest conceivable affront. <laughs> to which America presumably replied, come on, guys, you of all people should be able to see this in some kind of historical context. <laughs> on the affront scale, sure, it's not exactly not an affront, but it's also not starting a war on a front and then another front. <laughs> Nothing about this. It's particularly surprising. I think everyone probably assumed that every country is trying to do stuff like this. And the surprise is not so much that the US was successful, but that the president at least claims he didn't know anything about it. Now, that seems bad in almost every possible way that you can explain it. (laughs) It's bad if he signed off on it and has now been caught. And it's also bad if he didn't sign off on it and has now been caught not knowing about it. The president either comes out of this looking shady or incompetent, and he's got a two-item menu of options in response to this. He's either going to have to eat an entire humble pie or an entire humiliation omelette, and neither is going to be particularly easy to swallow. I guess the defence for America is to say something like, come on, it's nothing that George Orwell hadn't already made up in a novel more than 60 years ago. And also, the old classic, no smoke without fire Mm -hmm. defence. But I guess given the existence of smokeless fuels, you do also need to check everywhere there isn't smoke as well as where there is smoke, just to see whether or not there might be a fire there that is burning with an invisible flame, as some fires do. So I think, I mean, that is America's defence on. You just cannot... You cannot be too careful. And also, America as a Christian country would say, well, if Jesus had only surveillance Judas Iscariot properly, he'd still be alive today. Oh, that is a good point. Yep. Wow, that is a persuasive argument, Andy. Yep. Now, the implication is that the president went nearly five years without knowing that his own spies were bugging the phones of world leaders. Uh, uh, officials stated that the NSA has, and I quote, so many eavesdropping operations underway that it wouldn't have been practical to brief him on all of them. <laughs> well... That is the opposite of reassuring, Andy. <laughs> Listen, if we were going to start telling him everything we're doing that he might not be comfortable with, we'd be in the Oval Office all week. <laughs> I haven't got time for that. My daughter has a softball game on Thursday, and he hasn't got time for that either. He's busy. Malia's got the flu. I know that for sure, because I've been listening to his phone call. <laughs> the, the White House moved quickly to deny that it was actively monitoring Merkel's phone. The White House spokesman, Jay Carney, a man who has one of the worst jobs in the world, said, (laughs) the president assured the chancellor that the United States is not monitoring and will not monitor the communication of the chancellor. Okay, okay, that's good. I mean, that's 
as two out of three. And he does seem to be missing a crucial tense there. Is not monitoring good. Will not better. What about did not? What about that? Because that's like being asked in a murder trial, did you kill that woman? And saying, put it this way, I am not killing her now and I will not kill her in the future. I think that answers your question. I'm a free to go now. The scale of it is extraordinary, John. Uh, there's, uh, I read that the NSA monitored 60 million Spanish phone calls in a month. Mm-hmm. That is 2 million phone calls a day. That is half a million phone calls per working hour in Spain, John. That, is, <laughs> that just seems, that seems too many. Too many. It, it, is, it is amazing. There was a selection of stories. The, the Merkel... Uh, the uh, a- Angela Merkel story was broken by the German newspaper Der Spiegel, which is German for The Spiegel. Uh, <laughs> they reported uh, that from back in 2002, Merkel's calls were either recorded or monitored by NSA officials. Uh, and, I mean, how would the president not have been aware of that, Andy? <laughs> Surely at some point he must have asked if they had any information on how Germany might be about to vote in the UN resolution, and his advice had said, not sure, but Merkel's definitely ordering a pizza right now, so <laughs> take that into account. And he's clearly said, OK, that seems like a very personal piece of information, gathered in a way that I have absolutely no interest in uncovering. <laughs> and... As you say, it didn't stop there. The French newspaper Le Monde, which is French for The Monde, (laughs) uh, ran a story that the US government had monitored millions of phone calls in France, and the next day, El Mundo, the Spanish paper (laughs) meaning The Mundo, (laughs) reported, as you say, that the NSA tracked tens of millions of phone calls, texts, and emails of Spanish citizens, all of which apparently went quiet for four hours in the middle of the day. I'm agreeing with you, Andy. I'm saying the Spanish like to nap. They love a snooze, Andy, almost as much as they love being chased by bulls. In fact, when they're being chased by bulls, they're thinking about snoozing. And when they're snoozing, Andy, they're dreaming about being chased by bulls. That's just a fact. That's a Spain fact, Andy. You give them a red blanket and they'll be torn about whether to wave it at a bull or curl up underneath it. Spain fact. Fair. For those of you who've not read any Hemingway, that's basically his entire oeuvre summed up. <laughs> the editorial... Uh, in El Mundo, the Mundo, said um, the massive spying on Spanish citizens requires a strong response from the authorities. Uh, The Foreign Ministry should raise a formal complaint. Mariano Rajoy should join France and Germany in their initiatives. And as early as Monday, the public prosecutor should denounce the NSA for violation of the privacy of millions of Spaniards, which is punishable by up to four years in prison under Article 197 of the Penal Code. So, hold on, Andy. (laughs) Is Spain threatening to put the entire population of the United States in jail for four years? I'm not going, Andy. I can't sleep that much during the day. I feel sluggish. I feel sluggish, Andy, if I nap that hard. Um, Die Zeit, a German newspaper, Die Zeit, of course, means de uh, lingering sense of national guilt, uh, said it's... Uh, it's high time for Obama to honour his promise of transparency. When you uh-huh. say high time, I would say arguably it is too late for him to honour that promise of transparency, John. That would be like a waiter in a restaurant honouring his promise of a glass of house white after first serving a glass of house bleach. It just seems too little, <laughs> too late. And uh, another, <laughs> this was another glorious quote from uh, the uh, German press. Uh, the Angela Mer- Merkel's phone, it said... Her mobile phone is her control centre, which does sound eerily like a line from a German love poem. (laughs) 
the, uh, the, uh, the tens of millions of phone calls and emails monitored in Spain were, uh, were just between December 2012 and January 2013, with the monitoring apparently peaking on the 11th of December. What the f***? <laughs> were they trying to find out, Andy? Were they monitoring what Spanish children were going to be getting for Christmas? Did they just want to make absolutely sure that Santa Claus wasn't giving little Pedro some depleted uranium? <laughs> now, inter- a side note to these uh, revelations was that, interestingly, traditionally, the US and four other countries, known as the Five Eyes, don't spy on each other. The Five Eyes group are the US, the UK, Canada, Australia and New Zealand. First, there's no way that everyone on that list doesn't spy on each other anyway. There's no way. <laughs> but secondly, and much more importantly, how the f*** did New Zealand get on that there, Andy? <laughs> Were they just thinking, look, New Zealand is mainly sheep, hobbits and elite rugby players anyway. <laughs> we know what they're up to. It's not just the US which has been caught bug-handed in the last uh, few weeks. Russia apparently gave out bugged goodie bags <laughs> at the recent G20 summit. In St. Petersburg. Classic. They reportedly, they reportedly gave out free zip drives with software on them, which was designed to download the user's information and send it to intelligence agents at the Kremlin. Now, here's the thing about that, Andy. If you get given a free zip drive from Vladimir Putin and you put it in your computer, you are a f***ing idiot. <laughs> That's like being giving a headache pill from Silvio Berlusconi. Don't put it anywhere near your mouth. There's likely to be a lot more to it than meets the eye. <laughs> Apparently, Putin said in an interview recently that Edward Snowden, of course, who started all of this, that Edward Snowden himself could feel safe in Russia, although he then said that he found him a strange guy. Oh, <laughs> Why could that be a wonder? It's the weirdest thing. He flinches every time I'm around him, and he continually refuses the offer of my free zip drives. So, I mean, how is how Snowden uh, viewed in uh, America now, John? He's, uh, you know, somewhere, I guess, well, between... Uh, by a few people as a hero and by a lot of people as a traitor, Andy, right. who should be, uh, you know, strung up, okay. old-fashioned style. Like a cross between Lee Harvey Oswald, Trotsky and France. Pretty uh, <laughs> much. I guess he had a whistle to blow, John, and he's uh, he's tooted it. Mm-hmm. That whistle actually turned out to be a f***ing great ocean liner's foghorn, and the tune that it has played has been uh, the police's 1983 smash hit stalker pop classic, Every Breath You Take, and every move <laughs> Europe has made, America has been watching it. <laughs> every conversation taped, every email scanned, every stool passed has been analysed somewhere in a laboratory in Langley by some extremely demotivated CIA operatives who have dreamed... Dreamed of assassinating inconveniently elected Latin American nutjobs, but are instead sifting through shit for no reason. That's what America's been reduced to, John. Mm-hmm. Dark days, dark days for the uh, the land of the free. Uh, amongst the people that America spied upon, not just the 35 world leaders, but also uh, the future Pope. Um, what? Yeah. Uh, I was reading this, and uh, other uh, probably some rabbis as well, for the sake of balance. Definitely some Muslims. Uh, Brian Wilson, the Beach Boy, Beach Boy extraordinaire. Um, yeah, I think uh, they just wanted a heads up on the long-awaited Smile album before it came out. Uh, Bill Belichick, the head coach of the New England Patriots, he was snooped on. Uh, did the White House leak the Patriots' offensive strategy before their 2011 Super Bowl defeat to the New York Giants? I mean, we haven't heard otherwise. But the Pope, John, in the the current Pope of the Year, Pope Francis, during the conclave in which he was Pope-picked, um, they, they they snooped on him, John. But I guess if you're going to wear hats that can conceal a satellite disc, what the f*** 
you expect. <laughs> and um, the snooping revealed that uh, the Cardinals were on um, in the Conclave were on uh, very relaxed first name terms with God. Uh, surprisingly oh. informal, calling him Ian on several occasions. <laughs> um, Healthcare update now. And, well, look, Americans have always seen health as a frontier to conquer and the <laughs> pushing cholesterol scores beyond what <laughs> medical science thought was humanly possible. But with the Affordable Care Act, or Obamacare, starting to get rolled out, the idea is that that might and perhaps should change. It's a well-intentioned, if complicated, law, but that's what happens if you take a simple moral idea and let lobbyists f*** the shit out of it (laughs) before handing it back to you. Now, unfortunately... Oh, isn't democracy fun? (laughs) Oh, God, it's so depressing. Unfortunately, the new website that the government has set up to sign up uninsured Americans uh, onto the new exchanges has been a mess. Now, look... I'm no computer whiz, Andy, which is obvious because I just use the term computer whiz, which is a phrase you would usually find in the confused vocabulary of a grandparent. You're a computer whiz. Can you get onto the YouTube and print me out my hernia medication? Now, people who've tried to log on to healthcare.gov have been confronted with an error page filled with question marks and incoherent data. Again, Andy. I'm no expert, but that just doesn't look good. Has the website been hacked into by the Riddler? Is our only hope that some tech-savvy Batman will crash through the ceiling and save us all? It's just... It's a true mess, Andy. Again, it will be able to do great things if this website will f***ing work, which it seems it f***ing won't. And I cannot understand, Andy how this could have happened. They knew this rollout was going to be critical. And now the the screen looks like the entire website has a virus because some idiot with access to the mainframe down, downloaded porn, which <laughs> does seem like an incident that has Joe Biden's fingertips <laughs> all over it. Right. I think you could have phrased that slightly differently, John. <laughs> and now imagining Joe Biden's fingertips all over something. Um... <laughs> But I, th- I think I, I look at this in a more positive way, John. You know, it's a very clearly a very okay. divisive, controversial policy. And the last thing that Obama would have wanted was for everything to go smoothly. That would have just looked like showboating and uh, rubbing Republican noses in it. And it has, of course, proved controversial. The Affordable Care Act, due to the belief of many many Americans that care is already affordable for those who can afford it <laughs> yes. and are therefore <laughs> worth caring for. So. I mean, right. There's, I mean, there's, there are some linguistic pyrotechnics going on there. I guess technically, grammatically, they're almost right. <laughs> it's just that's definitely not the point. The president called a press conference and he, where he said, no one is madder than me that the website isn't working as it should, which means it's going to get fixed. So is that how the White House is going to operate now, Andy? Everything gets sorted out just as soon as the president gets angry about it, like some kind of legislative hulk, Obama mad. Obama smashed complicated coding problems with fist. Now new website work. <laughs> I imagine quite a lot of American news channels just cut that statement off after no one is madder than me as well. <laughs> yeah. So how, how are they going to fix this? Well, the White House has claimed that they're going to attempt, an, and I quote, a tech surge to tackle the problem, which perhaps isn't the greatest choice of language, Andy, to use in the circumstances. Maybe, just maybe... Don't use a word which is synonymous with Iraq. Because 
Initially, they were describing the website problems as a glitch, and now they're essentially describing it as the Iraq War. Let, let me guess: when you launched the website, you thought you'd be greeted as liberators. You go in with the website you have, not necessarily the website that you want. And and they attempted to explain it further by saying they're bringing in some of the best and brightest tech. Experts from inside and outside the government. Again, I'm sorry, the best and brightest. So now it's Vietnam as well. <laughs> what, what are the rest of your talking points going to be? Don't worry, we are going to Nagasaki this issue. This website is our Alamo, but in a good way. We can hear you, the rest of the world can hear you, and the people who knock this website down will hear from all of us soon. There is so much misinformation around now about the Affordable Care Act and what it actually does. And so much of the problem with those misperceptions, could all be solved straight away if people could just log on to this website. And now they're announcing an option which directs users to sign up by phone. So that's the best solution. <laughs> Giving up and going with a different technology altogether. Why stop there, Andy? How about if Americans want health insurance, they just write a handwritten letter on fine parchment, attach it to the leg of a pigeon, <laughs> throw it in the direction of Washington and just hope for the best. <laughs> I've just logged onto the website actually, and uh, it's just a big page saying "Mission accomplished." So, <laughs> all going well. Oh God, no! And uh, in fact, that's, I mean that's that's a that's a quality <laughs> reference, Andy. It's a good joke, but it just makes me sad. <laughs> in fact, uh, I heard John uh, John Boehner talking about it this morning, saying he tried to log on yesterday to healthcare.gov, mm-hmm. and he said all I saw was an animation of Barack Obama shooting George Washington in the face with a water pistol full of pus. <laughs> But uh, Republicans have uh, repeatedly tried to derail uh, the uh, healthcare law, and they seem to be trying to now use this technical glitch as a way of delaying it still further. Um, and they seem to have the same attitude towards the healthcare law as Wiley Coyote had towards Roadrunner, uh, at least before their final emotional rapprochement when uh, Coyote was terminally ill in a hound hospice after con- <laughs> contracting gangrene in a leg wound sustained when catapulting himself into a cliff. A tearful roadrunner said after uh, Coyote's passing, I came to respect Wyle as an adversary. I admired his ingenuity, even if I questioned the source of the funding for his equipment, which seemed at best suspicious, and at worst, obviously linked to either drug cartels or major terrorist groups who wanted a willing, willing guinea pig to test out potential new equipment. Whether Wyle knew the provenance of his many lethal devices, which will one day no doubt bring pain and destruction to many, I do not know. I prefer to credit him as an enthusiast, passionately devoted to the art and craft of predatory killing in an inhospitable desert habitat. Wiping a tear from his beak, Roadrunner continued, Whilst I could not call Wyle a friend, in many ways he became the touchstone by which I judged myself, my defining (laughs) nemesis. He was the Napoleon to my Wellington, the Roddick to my Federer, the Italian prison system to my Berlusconi. For all our differences, he made me the Roadrunner I am today. Coyote himself is said to have embraced vegetarianism and Buddhism in his final weeks, finding, his manager said, an inner peace that had eluded him throughout his time as a slavering carnivore in the wild. (laughs) I can't believe we've done this 250 times. I can't even remember. It's so meaningless. I can't even remember what that bit began as. (laughs) Is this still the Obamacare section? Oh, Oh, yes. I mean, not really. It started as that and ended up as something completely different, thereby functioning as a satire on Obamacare itself. (laughs) 
Bugle feature section now, and 250. Well, as we trumpeted at the start of the show, this is this is a truly historic, historic bugle, a landmark in the history of human creativity. I would say, probably right up there with the 250th ceiling Michelangelo painted, which was, I think, in his spare room at home. Um, the uh, same number of bugles now as the number of Vladimir Putin's in a special giant set of Russian dolls that Vladimir Putin had made as a good luck in your new job present for Dmitry Medvedev when he succeeded Putin as president of Russia in 2008. There was one tiny, tiny Medvedev in the middle, weeping a single tear. Uh, also, the same number of bugles as Erotic Dreams. Silvio Berlusconi has had about Joan of Arc since we first broadcast in 2007. And the number of times during the final painal, painful hour... Of his life that Colonel Gaddafi thought to himself one of the following thoughts. Relax. I'll get you for this. Yes, to be fair, I had this coming. Ouch. On balance, I'm still winning on aggregate. This is going to look bad on the telly. Oh, we've all had a bit of fun. Let's calm down and talk things through. And, oh, what the heck. Oh, yeah. I've been lying to myself too long. Now, 250, obviously, is a very important number in maths uh, and history. 250 million years ago to this day. Life on Earth was almost wiped out in the Permian-Triassic extinction event. (laughs) Coincidentally, the name of a band I was in at school, and also, coincidentally, a particularly concise review of Smurfs 2. Um, (laughs) That was... (laughs) I believe in the New York Flabbergast magazine. Uh, Informally, uh, the Permian-Triassic extinction event was also known as the Great Dying, which was also a term used uh, for uh, John's (laughs) and my gig at the Picture House in York in 2004. Wow. (laughs) <laughs> That's, that is fair. <laughs> 250 years ago, uh, little Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, age seven, composed his uh, first ever rock opera uh, called Slimy Bert. It was a rhythm and blues tinge romp through the life of a garden worm, preminent of the Yardbirds. 250 bugles ago, this happened. Number one, Monday, October the 15th, 2007, with me, Andy Zaltzman, here in London, and in America, John Oliver. Hello, Andy. Hello, world. But most importantly, hello, Andy. (laughs) Thanks, John. 250 minutes ago, in London, this happened. Ah, it's a Bugle Friday. And 250 seconds before we started recording at the Bugle Recording Studio in New York, this happened. Good morning, Mr. Oliver, sir. Good morning, Wendell. Thank you, Mr. Oliver, sir. Would you like your duck now, sir? Yes, please, Wendell. Shot, Mr. Oliver, sir. Shot. Wendell? Sir? F*** off, Wendell. Of course, Mr. Oliver, sir. It would be my honour. Thank you, Wendell. I'm now ready to record. (laughs) Your emails now, and, I mean, it seems somehow fitting, Andy, that, you know, when we're celebrating the 250th anniversary of nothing, that we received an absolute avalanche of emails about uh, an overhead photograph <coughs> from uh, of a uh, Christian S- Science Society church in Dixon, Illinois, which 
I mean, look, there's no, uh, <laughs> there's no easy way to say this. Their church, when viewed from above, very objectively looks like <laughs> a penis and balls with the <laughs> penis dog legging left. Yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, there's no more accurate way of describing that. Um, mm-hmm. It says, I mean, it says, in some of the descriptions of it, say that, you know, from a certain angle, the church from above looks like a giant phallus complete with balls and bushy pubic hair. From any <laughs> angle, it looks like that. Any angle, it looks only like that. It is, it's an act of God, is what it is, Andy. Yeah. Well, God God invented the uh, jungle rog and sluggards, so... Um... Exactly. So, exactly. So, it's it's really a tribute to him. Yeah. Or I mean, her. yeah, God, God, God is love, and mm-hmm. love can be can be transmitted via the penis. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, who are we to who are we to argue with them? <laughs> I mean, that's about, but thank you to those. I believe probably around about seventy five percent of all buglers have emailed or twittered <laughs> that link to us. I think you know us slightly too well. <laughs> and uh, a lot of you have also emailed in. Uh, uh, the story of the Vatican forming its own cricket club. Uh, Stephen I. Tucker was one of those uh, who said, um, Dear Andy, Chris and John, in descending order of interest level in the story, the Vatican has formed its own cricket club. They're hoping to take on a Church of England eleven. Andy, will you, st- will you start our chosen chaps Talmudic test series? <laughs> test matches in the Talmud are similarly incomprehensible and lengthy and cricket doesn't require much athleticism so we Jews ought to be half decent right <laughs> at the very least I expect high quality bugle coverage digging up little known facts about the overlap between cricket and religion for example the suitability of Jesus and the apostles for different fielding positions and well, I don't know you have to sit nowadays you know he might not take all the catches his, probably his handling has gone downhill a bit after the <laughs> oh, injuries come on Andy <laughs> come on splitter it cost us a lot of market share. And um, <laughs> historical cricketers who could have been nuns and vice versa. Well, I mean, you know, I think Mother Mother Teresa must have, would have been a terrific little uh, terrific little spin bowler, I reckon. And uh, possibly even a nun's ton pun run. Uh, no, no, there's no, no time for that. No. There's no, t- no. No, no, no time for that. No, no. time. But it's, I mean, it is fascinating. I mean, I've always thought... It's, a, uh, it's an amazing idea. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean... You know, at St. Peter's Cricket Club, uh, it's got Indian Premier League franchise written all over it, John. <laughs> this, you know, the big money, 20 over a side league that is uh, transforming a game of cricket in slightly alarming ways. I mean, I, you, can, you can see the Vatican getting involved in that. Um, uh, John McCarthy, who's uh, Australia's ambassador to the Vatican, described the St. Peter's Cricket Club as an example of sporting diplomacy which would present the opportunity to play against Hindus, Muslims and Sikhs. And of course, cricket, John, has a long and proud history of bringing peace to disputatious areas as the almost ethereal zen-like calm of India-Pakistan relations can testify. Exactly. I played cricket against uh, St. Peter's uh, Cricket Club once and the night ended with one of St. Peter's uh, failing, trying and failing to pull two Estonian lesbians in a bar in Brighton. (laughs) (laughs) It might not have been the same team. Oh, right, yeah. That, I mean, was he wearing a cassock and a mitre? Or? He wasn't the most fashionable of men. All right. <laughs> the, 
Well, the thing that I think could be most interesting, Andy, in uh, any cricket match between the Vatican and the Church of England is the opportunity for some world-class sledging right there. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what part of original sin don't you understand, you idiot? You get an out-next ball and then you're going straight to hell, you f***ing heretic. <laughs> <laughs> Also, how do you get the Pope out, Andy, when he's infallible? Oh, yeah. I feel like you get him absolutely plumb leg before wicket, make a big appeal to the umpire, he puts his finger up and the Pope says, hey, put your f***ing finger down, read the rule book. Not the cricket rule book, the Bible. I'm infallible, mate. I'm still in. I'm still in. It's like trying to get Javed Mirndad out LBW in Pakistan in the 1980s. <laughs> That's a niche reference for our American buglers. Go and use the internet. Father Theodore Mascarenus, uh, an Indian official at the Vatican's Council for Culture, said that, uh, that although the Pope uh, is not uh, a cricket fan, he said, I'm sure that cricket will be another thing that he accepts as part of his openness. Well, John, that would make him unquestionably my all-time favourite Pope. <laughs> if the Pope embraces cricket, I might even consider getting my drong nozzle reattached and embracing, embracing Catholicism. <laughs> Here's the problem, though, Andy. The Vatican easily has enough money just to temporarily canonise the greatest <laughs> cricket players in the world. T- just get ready. There's Cardinal Tendulkar is coming <laughs> to a cricket pitch near you. And finally, this one came from Lucy, who writes, Dear Andy, John and Chris, in order of who most resembles a newborn baby. That's both a compliment and an insult to all of us. Since the birth of my first offering, uh, sorry, my first offering, <laughs> I don't know, it's about, you know, if you're into human sacrifice, I'm not going to judge you. Uh, since the birth of my first offspring a few weeks ago, I've been listening to whatever the collective noun is for a lot of Bugle podcasts, being as it is in the top recommended podcasts in the laugh while you lactate section of the NHS Scotland baby book. I, I really hope that's true, but I fear that is a lie. All was going well until the baby heard Bugle 247 and Andy's Philosopher's Bun Run, whereupon he released an unprecedented tsunami of vomit, covering all clothing and soft furnishings within a two-metre radius, moments before the health visitor arrived to witness the sodden aftermath. Whilst I admit that my baby's physical and emotional experiences are chiefly a response to the smooth or otherwise, or otherwise transit of milk from nipple to nappy, this gastric emptying event was of such a scale and ferocity that I can only conclude it demonstrates a severe, visceral intolerance of puns. I will have to report this to the GMC and suggest you warn owners of susceptible neonates to put down plastic sheets in advance of further pun runs to avoid further lactic accidents. Yours, Lucy and Leon. P.S. He's fine now. He's cuddled up and gone to sleep. So there we go. That's, you know, if, if you know, he's not my target demographic. Uh, couldn't give a shit, mate. Couldn't give a shit. Let him puke. <laughs> Do keep your emails coming in to info at thebuglepodcast.com. Don't forget uh, to celebrate the 250 episodes you've had for free to take out your Bugle voluntary subscription at thebuglepodcast.com, where you can also get uh, the merch, uh, for which there will be imminently some new additions, hopefully uh, not in time for Christmas. I, I think <laughs> it'll be a shame to sully our commercial mm-hmm. copybook by actually uh, releasing these things at a useful time. <laughs> but sometime soon. Might be a bag and a hoodie. <laughs> I can't give away any further information than that. <laughs> so, well, that's it for this week's uh, 250th uh, Bugles. Uh, great to be back. We'll be back next week 
as we embark on the next phase of bugling from 251 to 500. <laughs> it now seems a long way away. <laughs> it sure does. A long. Let's just try and get to 260. Up there. <laughs> I'll take 252 at this point. <laughs> bye! Bye bye! Andy, over the last three and a half years, I've actually sourced every single one of those sound effects before. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth, Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you you must be so excited. Listen now.